Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit us at unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. This is going to be the last message on fear and shame ever in 2019. <laughs> Except for maybe the small things I say about it over the next couple of weeks. But we are going to close the series, and then we're going to move into a series called In His Presence, where I really feel the Holy Spirit wants us to focus on His presence as we close out the year. It's going to be really good. So just, just for recap, for those of you that maybe have missed or you're brand new, you haven't heard any of this series, it's called Facing Fear. And the first message we talked about was about understanding that the fear of God moves us into reverence and relationship with Him because we fear him more than we fear everything else. And in fact, he is the most powerful being in the planet. And we understand that the most powerful uh, God of the universe being in the, that has ever existed is for us. That fear, that fear of God actually moves us into relationship with him. So understanding that phobias are actually things that move us away from God as we misunderstand him. But when we reverence God and see him right, it moves us to him for protection, for salvation, for freedom. Huh? Super good. And his love is permanent and powerful, and it's protective of us. All right. We talked a lot about how fear moves in our life and how we can have attachment to fears and phobias and all these things, how they begin to drive us. And the last couple messages I felt from the Lord to just really lay a theological foundation in our life that would help us break shame, which is driven by fear. Shame is such a powerful tool of the enemy, and when plugged into the wrong things, and when engaged into fear, or engage into, let's call it identity politics within us. Okay? When there's something that is vying for value uh, that comes from the wrong source, all of a sudden, the two yous inside of you, the two people inside of you, are at conflict or at war with one another. And we're going to explore that uh, today. So last week we talked a lot about this uh, interesting diagram that I created to help explain and understand the two people inside of you that are warring against each other. Uh, and if you, depending on what service you were in, I started to say something that was, that was kind of weird and started to confuse people. Never happens, right? Okay. So there's a passage in Romans 6, which we're going to read today, that started to get into my head. And it's, it's alive in Christ, but dead to sin. But I want you to see something. So if I was saying dead to sin, I, was, yeah, I just want to correct myself. We're dead in sin. Look. Once we're saved and Jesus redeems, we're born into sin. So this, this when I lift this up, this represents when we don't have Jesus... We're born into sin, and when we don't have the saving grace or mercy of God in our life, we actually will pay for the punishment of our sins. And so that's why the Bible tells us we're dead in our sin already. You're born into that. And then you do a really, really good job of adding to all of that. Right? But when we get saved, now we're alive to Christ. That's what this represents here. And my inner man, my spirit man... When I don't have Jesus is dead in my sin, but when I get set free from the saving grace of God, now I'm alive in Christ. And now when I'm alive in Christ, I'm actually dead to sin on this inner person. Okay. Say what? 
Okay, so I just need to clarify that a little bit. Some of y'all are going like, I don't know what you were talking about last week. It's because I was saying weird stuff. <laughs> Wasn't your fault, it was my fault, okay? You guys are super smart. You would have had it if I would have said it right. Okay, so I think I was saying it better in the first service than the second one. So anyway, we are made right, made holy. This is the perfect and complete work of Christ. Nothing you and I can do after we choose Jesus. Our one work is to believe and we're made right. But then that separates us from our flesh. Now there's a separation from our flesh and our spirit man that's now alive in Christ and made for eternity with God. Before our flesh, when it was dead in sin, was in unity with our inner man. Our spirit man was in unity with our flesh, but when we, when we get saved, all of a sudden now there is a split. And this is where all of our fabulous troubles uh, happen, is in this space. This outer person is leady, needy, he's leady, He's needy, he's hungering, he never, in ne hunger, uh, the reason I put that there, it's, it's always you get something and then you're, you get hungry again, right? The flesh is just like it gets filled and then when it gets what it wants and then all of a sudden it's like wants it again. It's lust and never will be fulfilled. It is always seeking approval. Okay, so this outer person is always seeking approval. Your inner man, when given to Jesus, has been approved. So we're going to talk a lot about shame today. I really want to stay on shame, but I want us to make sure we've got this. The outer you is your flesh. The inner you is the spirit man that's been regenerated by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Perfect and permanent. So we're going to talk about how shame begins to drive our world and how do we disconnect from its power. That might be helpful. Amen? How many of you guys love it when shame comes all over you. Good answer. <laughs> Not awesome. There's other things that are way more fun. Like Christmas carols. <laughs> Cookies and <laughs> coconut oil. <laughs> See if everybody's listening out there, okay? Let's go Romans chapter 6. I want to read this in the message. You should, and if you get the devotional, we'll have it in. Uh, you can read it in both versions or in other uh, versions, and the New Living is very good. But the message sometimes just does the Bible so good. It does the meaning so good. So let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 1. So what do we do? We keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? You know, let's think about this. This is what we're talking about. When I left the country where sin was sovereign, okay, sin was sovereign in my life, I leave that country when I get saved. Boom. Now, I'm living in two spaces. When I left the country where sin was sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? The only place you can try to do that is in your flesh, your outer person. It can no longer happen here because this is the temple of God where the Holy Spirit dwells. <laughs> or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, 
a new life in a new land. That's all this inner person here. The outer person now gets to participate in this inner holiness, in this new house. That's what baptism into life in Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so we can see where we're going in our new grace, sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that miserable, a sin miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. Before we were made right with Christ, we were dead in our sin, and our outer man, our whole man, was now at sin's every beck and call. There was no power to war against it. It was now submitted and mastered by the sin that was driving from your spirit man. But when you get saved, that is no longer the master. Sin is no longer your master. You are set free. What we believe is this, verse 8. If we get included into Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included to his life-saving resurrection. We now, we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But, al but alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue. And you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give, in, give sin a vote. Do you hear this? That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your life. How do you do that? That's what I want to talk about. How do you allow sin to have a vote in your life? Well, it can't come from your inner man. <clears throat> what does this inner man drive? The kingdom, everything righteous and holy. It's where the Holy Spirit dwells. So how do we give sin a vote? Ah, we will find out and see, my young children, my classroom. <coughs> <laughs> Don't even run little errands that are connected with your old way of life. <laughs> I love this person in the Bible. Don't even run little errands for it. Don't give sin a vote and don't go do run little errands for the sin in your life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly a full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Let's pray. Father, we need you today. We're praying for clarity, for wisdom, for your Holy Spirit to fall in power and transform our mind. Even as Delave was ministering today and prophesying today, bringing alignment between the gap of how we think and see and how you see, God. I pray for that alignment to take place. Line us up. 
Bring revelation, God. I pray that my mind would see right and my mind that, that breaches both spaces between the old and the new man. God, I pray that it would fall subject and submitted to the mastery of Jesus Christ, the nature of Christ living in and through me. God, that my mind would be submitted to the truth and the revelation about who you are in me. How you love me in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't this a beautiful passage? Dead to sin, alive to Christ. Don't give sin a vote. You don't have to, because he's not master anymore. Sin isn't master anymore. Your old man is not master anymore. And see, this is the thing I want you to see. There are three types of people making decisions, or three people making decisions inside of you, or trying to influence you. You have God on the inner man. So we're going to, hopefully this is all going to come together the way I imagined it in my mind eye, mind's eye. You have God, right? The Lord is trying to influence you through the inner man, the inner person, his righteousness, and whew, he's driving you from the inside. He's driving you and influencing you from the inside out, establishing value from the inside out, right? Okay, then we have. Your best friend, no, hopefully not, the devil. We're going to focus mainly on shame today, all right? I have another arrow. <laughs> I want you to think about something. Three, three voices happening. God's voice in your life. Then you have self, you. Yourself's voice. Self has a voice in your world. Self has all these needs, needs approval, needs to be valued. That's its primary objective is to feel valued and be approved of. Then you have the enemy, the devil, who's at work. Warring against, Revelation 12 says, Genesis says, warring against the woman and all of her offspring, the church, he is your enemy. Jesus said himself, he is wandering around, roaring like a lion to see whom he may devour. He wants to devour you with shame. He will use fear to drive shame in your life. And when he does, his goal is to paralyze you and to stop you from any kind of movement. So let's talk about each person's goal or value here. We have the enemy's goal is to influence you. He has goals. Did you know that? And he has an agenda. He has a, he's a goal-setting enemy that is always at work. He doesn't take breaks. Him and all his little demons, they don't take breaks. They're always warring. That doesn't mean everything messed up in you is always being driven by the demonic. And it doesn't mean it's not. They have a limited number of demons. A third of the angels fell from heaven. There's only a third. We don't even know how many that is. I'm guessing it's not nine billion. 
which is how many people there are on the planet. So they can only move around and influence as they have time. But they make the most of all their time to influence with fear and shame. And once they've got you wrapped up in fear and shame, they probably just move on to somebody else. Try to get them unless you invite them in. Don't do that. That's a bad idea, okay? Super bad idea. Invite them in where? If you're saved, can't go here. You can invite them into this space, your outer man, to create influence. You cannot, this space belongs to Jesus. Totally redeemed. So when people start talking about possession, never here. Unless they're not saved. If they're not saved, then they have total possession. But once you're saved, you can be influenced out here. And all kinds of wreak havoc from the enemy. And he primary, primarily will drive fear and shame in your life. Okay? Now, he's the accuser who never stops accusing the, the church before God and you. He's a liar. He wants to paralyze you in the kingdom. He wants to stop kingdom movement. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. He drives jealousy and division through comparison and envy. He drives jealousy and division through comparison and envy. His message is you will never be enough. You're always a disappointment. No one can really love you. You're not worth being loved. Why can't you just get it right? You're just a screw up. You're broken. You're not worth it. What is wrong with you? You're too fat, too slow, too ugly, too stupid, too tall. You're behind. You are worthless. No one even wants you around. Why are you here? What messages do you hear? What's going on? The negative messages in your life, if you pay attention and you listen to them, it's the same message. Over and over again. To diminish your value. The enemy is always trying to, through shame, diminish the value, get you to believe this inner person can't be saved, isn't worth being saved. But especially once you're saved, he is after this outer person because this is where the work gets done. The inner man influences the outer man to do work for God and that produces good fruit in the kingdom and others hear the message and they get saved and more people get redeemed and the kingdom is an unstoppable force of God's love in the world. 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 What? But his job through shame is to get to devalue you. This is a minus sign. He wants to devalue you and get you to believe that your outer person could somehow influence your inner person through these toxic messages. When we take shame and we plug shame into fear, fear of punishment, okay? When we plug the action, we take shame and we move it in here, it, it, it all of a sudden starts to produce all these negative value things. And when we partner with that, now we're allowing the master, we make the master of shame now becomes the devil or the enemy. And now he gets to manipulate our outer person and wreak havoc. Your outer person will go bonkers and flip out when it thinks it's lost value. But his message is to diminish you at every turn. If you will listen to it and you will allow it. But see, if we don't take the time to separate the messages and 
You know every author has a signature? When you, just the way an author, a person writes something, you can tell who it was. The voice in what they write or what they say, the way they say it, it comes from a source. And you can hear the voice of yourself sounds different than the voice of the enemy. And I promise, sounds way different than the voice of God. What does yourself say? Yourself is always searching for value. And yourself is ego-driven. It loves gold stars and it craves acceptance and approval. It seeks protection and admiration. It brags about or elevates itself to make itself feel more valuable. If self is on its own looking for self-approval or approval from others, then it is always bragging about protecting and trying to raise its own value through work, production, productivity. It thinks in a concept of scarcity and lack. There's just not enough, and so I've got to gather up what I need. I'm going to be hungry, right? When I was a kid, I was like always worried I was going to starve. I have no idea why. There was always enough food. But I would fight. My hunger, my old self, my nature, my flesh, we would literally fight over food with my brothers and cousins and stuff. Because my flesh, our flesh thinks in scarcity, in lack. And it always drives a, I have to win so you, and you have to lose or it won't work. When, when your scarcity mind gets freaked out, it's afraid. It thinks, oh, I'm not going to have enough. Then it is always, I got to win. The only way is you have to lose so I can win. Which drives comparison. So it's always comparing to try to gain or garner, garnish more value of itself. It's all shame thinking, by the way. This is where shame inside of us, even if the enemy isn't influencing it, we're allowing toxic shame to drive our self-nature. The ego of self is always pretending, performing, pleasing, and perfecting. I spent the majority of my walk, even as a believer, doing those things. And it just about ran me out of my own strength. It did run me out of my own strength. I almost collapsed in that. Exhausting. Sounds tiring, right? Always trying to gain and garner approval. The message, and there's probably lots of them, so you could think of the message that's going on in your mind, is you should be better by now. You're kind of behind. Come on, self, get it together. Let's go. What's wrong with you? It says you got to look out for you. Nobody else is going to. Look out for yourself. you got to protect you. This might be your last chance to. If you would have just done blank better, then blank would have been different or better. <laughs> you with me? If I could have just done this one thing better, then I wouldn't be in all this pain and suffering and all this outer oh, stuff. And I, it just would have been better or good. If I just had this, this thing that I need, I'd be okay. Always looking for something to make it feel safe, protected, and okay. I'm okay if I'm at least a little bit ahead of the person next to me or the people around me. 
Comparison, jealousy, envy, it drives these same things. Proverbs 27, 20 says, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. This is why shame is such a powerful influencer to our ego. It will do almost anything to avoid or minimize the discomfort associated with feeling vulnerable or even being curious because it's too risky when we get our significance from others. Our ego wants to fit in, to be accepted, to please and perform, to be good enough, to be loved and accepted. I'm going to read something to you from Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. I recommend this book. You should read this book. Actually, I recommend you read pretty much anything she writes. She is the expert on fear and shame. Just my opinion. Thanks, Brian Anderson, for introducing me to Brene Brown. Now, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan, too. All she did was talk about Brene Brown for like a year and a half, so... <laughs> <clears throat> okay. And when we become disembodied from our emotions to the point that we literally don't recognize which physical feelings are connected to which emotional feelings, we don't gain control. We lose it. Without our understanding or consent, emotions start driving our decisions and making our behavior while thinking is tied up in the trunk. I'm going to read that again. Without our understanding or consent, emotions start driving our decisions, making and beha behavior while thinking is tied up in the trunk. On the other hand, when the heart is open and free, we're connected to our emotions and understand what they are telling us, new worlds open up for us, including better decision-making and critical thinking and a powerful experiences of empathy and self-compassion and reliance. Ego is an eager and willing conspirator when it comes to locking away the heart. I think of my ego as a little, little inner hustler that is my vo the voice in my head driving, pretending, performing, and pleasing and perfecting. The ego loves gold stars and craves acceptance and approval. It has no interest in wholeheartedness, just self-protection and admiration. Our ego will do almost anything to avoid or minimize discomfort associated with feeling vulnerable or even being curious because it's too risky. What will people think? What will I learn if something unpleasant or uncomfortable about myself? Protecting our ego and fitting in is why we reach for armor in situations where we think, we, uh, where we think being liked or respected is at risk. Think about that. Protecting our ego and fitting in is why we reach for armor in situations where we think being liked or respected is at risk because we may be wrong or not have all the answers or might get in over our heads and not look smart enough. Hear the shame, shame, shame. I don't measure up. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. We also go on lockdown when our emotions may be perceived by others in a way that we cannot manage or control. If I'm honest about how I'm feeling, will I be misunderstood, judged, or seen as weak? Will my vulnerability change the way you think of me or my ability? Where are we looking for approval? This is the Where are we looking for approval? Outside. We're looking for approval through how we behave and 
how we measure up to others on the outside and look to others on the outside. Rather than in, where you and I cannot influence our value. <laughs> when we're looking on the outside to gain and garner value, see, it always shifts and changes, and it's based on how good of a hustler you are. And the reality is that it's always moving. It changes when you move from one context of a group of people to another and you're trying to find approval. It's all based on what they think is important and what you can or cannot do. Shifting and changing and that's why we get so freaked out. It's so scary. Anxiety starts to rule and we start to hustle hard while we're looking for value outside rather than when we look to the source of value that comes from God that cannot change. You cannot influence the value on the inside. So when you put your heart and your value and your life, your outer person is now taking its shame, which is an understanding of your personal limitations. And instead of plugging it into fear, we now take it and plug it into love. We engage it into love. See, when I take my shame, the action or the belief or the understanding that I have personal limitations, there's an end and a beginning to who I am. And in my shame, I understand that only God could save me. That drives humility. Rather than anxiety about my value, instead it engages love. See, this is where when fear and shame are now plugged into God himself, the love of God himself, it all of a sudden that action of taking understanding my shame and I drive it yeah, from love now, it produces humility. Yeah, right. That I'm now, now comfortable with where I begin and end. That I can't save myself. Thank God. Because then I have to keep trying. You get saved one time. It's good that you give your heart back to Jesus over and over, but what you are really doing is you are taking this person and resubmitting it to the God inside you. You know what, this person's been rebellious and disobedient and a knucklehead. Jesus, I'm giving my life or my, my life, my outer man back to you, but you're not getting saved again. You get redeemed one time. That's why it's okay to get baptized again because you're saying, my outer person, in my healthy shame, I'm saying I am saved and redeemed by the love of God. I'm not scared anymore. God saved me and he establishes my value and toxic shame will no longer drive my life. When you give your weight, your life to toxic shame, you are giving the devil direct access to influence your life and to wreak havoc all around you. Just say this very simply. The first step is understand when it's what it feels like in your mind, will, and emotions and then what it does to your body physiologically. We taught a message on this, understanding and feeling fear. Okay? Feeling what it feels like. It feels gross and disgusting and devaluing. And then listen to the inner tape. And if you get our devotionals, it'll help you discover what those are. Write them down. Expose the lies of the enemy. He's a liar. And he's got a tape of shame that he's playing and getting you to believe about yourself and play over and over and over again. If you're armoring up and protecting yourself, you're being driven from shame. I'm telling you right now. Just accept it. You're not finding, you're looking for value from the wrong place. Okay, I want you to hear what God says about you. He's influencing you for righteousness. One, he has all the power. 
no power except to talk and lie and influence. Okay, that's it. All the power. No power, all the power. No power in your, you unless it's submitted to the power of God inside you. Then it has power. It's amazing. Full of power and he gives it to you. He leads you into what's best for you. Prove to you that you are valued, loved, and wanted by his blood. His message to you is that you are loved, valued, accepted, and wanted. Based on nothing that you have done except believe. This is where healthy shame comes in. God, where I end, you begin, and it's amazing. Thank you, Lord, that I can never influence my internal value. And this is how we dismantle shame in our life. You've got to get the message. You have to break the message that comes from fear and shame. You have to dismantle it in your life. And this is the action. So when we plug, plug the action into love, it produces, we'd flip this around, good fruit. <laughs> and you can go to my one little slide up there. I'm going to jam this one home. Ready? Do you know which one it is? It's a list of fear versus love. Um, and so in this space, when, when we are driven by love, whatever the action is, is it's going to produce good fruit. But when we're driven by fear, we can take the same action, driven from fear, and it'll produce bad fruit. When someone makes a mistake, when, my, when I'm driven from love, what do I do? I forgive them. I think what's best about them. I actually pray for them and I believe about them. When someone makes a mistake that reflects on me in love, what do I do? Whew, that's even scarier, isn't it? I actually go, you know what? It's okay. I don't need what you do doesn't influence me. I'm going to love you in your space and I'm going to make allowances for one another is what the Bible says we do. We give people room. When someone makes a mistake uh, when someone is in trouble or hurting, what does love do? Comforts them. It asks them what do they need. When I'm lonely, I actually reach out. My action is when I'm lonely, I reach out. And that produces good fruit because I get intimacy. When I study and read God's word, it's not for approval or acceptance. Instead, it's to learn and grow so that I can live my life more in alignment with God's truth and it produces good fruit in my life. Prophecy now comes from a heart of love that always builds up and always encourages others. Submission to leadership and authority all of a sudden is easy and it produces good fruit because I trust God, not the leader. But when I'm scared, when I'm afraid, whoop, see that? quick like a cat. <clears throat> All of a sudden, I take the same list. And when someone makes a mistake and I'm afraid, when it's driven from fear, same list, what does it produce? <laughs> Come on, when someone makes a mistake, all of a sudden I'm like, shame. Why would you do that? Don't you know that that's going to turn out bad for you? I start to diminish them. To get them to produce good fruit, never gonna happen. Okay, now this is gonna freak you out. When someone makes a mistake that now reflects on you, what do you do? Flip out. 
Because if you're trying to get your value from somewhere else instead of your inner person, then all of a sudden I am really out of control and super freaked out when all of y'all reflect on me. Try being a pastor someday. This freaks you out. You'll lose all your hair. I only lost some of it. I stopped freaking out. When, when someone's hurting or in trouble, when I'm scared, what do I do? Jesus butter is what I call it. I rub a scripture on them. Have you tried this? Have you tried praying yet, sister? Have you tried just engaging the Holy Spirit yet? Have you tried just taking a little Jesus butter and rubbing it on your wound and then all of a sudden it gets better? Just pray. Have you prayed enough? Really? Do you hear the shame? You just didn't quite, you're sick still? Oh, bless your heart. That just means you didn't have enough faith. Oh, poor you. Diminish, diminish, diminish. How about studying God's word? When I'm afraid, love is not made perfect, the Bible says, when I still operate in fear because I'm afraid of punishment because I think that reading God's word would change the value of my inner man. Not possible. Can't affect this value. Reading God's word could influence this man to be more in line with this man to know the truth. True. And it can help defeat and d diminish and cut off this guy's words and stuff in your brain. Yeah. Reading the Bible can never increase my approval, but when I'm scared and afraid that God doesn't approve of me, then I read out of fear. I go to church out of fear. I pray out of fear. I worship out of fear. I even raise my hands out of fear because I'm afraid that God's not gonna, he, he's, that he's not gonna approve of me and love me or that people around me might reject me. I will never find, this is the fruit of this same action. I can go to church in love. I can read the Bible in love and it produces good fruit. But when I go do all those things out of fear, all of a sudden, I'm lonely at church. I don't have real relationship. And in fact, I like, worship makes no sense because I have no engagement with God because God doesn't engage with fear. You don't worship him in a scared, I'm afraid of you fear. I need to measure up. No, it's reverence and I move toward in love and acceptance. That's love, that's not fear, okay? So all of a sudden, even the key weapons in our warfare, when plugged into fear, create and drive shame, loneliness, division, discouragement, judgment of others. The church has been plugged into fear for far too long. God wants us to face it and turn from fear and engage in real love. Prophecy from fear will all of a sudden start creating all kinds and saying all kinds of terrible messages to you. It becomes manipulative and controlling rather than building up. A prophetic word should never make you scared. That's a pretty good indicator that you go like, whoop, 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 not, from, not from Jesus. Now the message might be you or it might be the deliverer. Can we go back to that last one? Go back one more time. Submission to leadership and authority. When I'm scared, I think that 
leaders around me could affect my internal value or the pe way people see me and influence me and affect me, or they could affect whether I produce good fruit in the kingdom or not, then I'm scared to be submitted. And that produces bad fruit because now I'm a rebellious person. I can't be submitted because I can't trust because I'm not engaged in love. But God wants us to engage in love. Same actions. So this is the discipline I want to ask you to do, church. Can you be brave enough? Can you have the courage, the humility, the healthy shame? Take your shame and plug it into something healthy, God's love. It's okay that you have limits and you aren't all and all. <laughs> your outer person can't produce the value. It can't. It doesn't need to. Jesus did it for you. Engage your shame into a healthy place where God's value is permanent, lasting, and forever, and will never shift or change. This is where we lay our fear down. Make the shift. Make the shift. And let's, let's, let's see the church explode with the love of God. We're going to talk about engaging God's presence. We have to get this message first. If we're going into God's presence afraid or trying to find acceptance and value or, or, or measure up, but we pray enough so we measure up, he doesn't want that. He only wants your heart. And from that place, we find rest. We find freedom. We find deliverance. The burden is light and easy, and it is beautiful, and we produce all this incredible and amazing fruit. I'm going to close by reading this passage. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but did not love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I could understand all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but did not love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. You close your eyes with me. Father, in Jesus' name, we're asking you to shift something inside of us. Let love be our highest goal. Let love be our highest aim. God, we want to shift from fear to love. God, that we find our value from you. And we ask that you would obliterate the message of shame, the toxic message of shame that the enemy has put on us and that our self, our, our, our old man, our flesh has participated in. Jesus, deliver me now from this toxic message of shame. And I pray right now that you would allow me to engage and understand and know your perfect love. I worship you today. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Bible says so simply, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death, separation from God, that we're all dead in our sin. But when we give our life to Jesus, we are raised with him and made new. And all of this power and life and love and acceptance is available to us by just believing on Jesus as God, as Lord, as Savior. If you're here today and you want to make that decision, I'm asking you 
to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, you are my God. I trust in you as Lord and as Savior of my life right now. Fill me with your love and your Holy Spirit. Change my life forever in Jesus' name. Help me to live for you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.